0: This is Converge, the Business of Creativity Podcast. I'm Dane Sanders. Man finds a level of despair he can tolerate and calls it happiness. Most men die at 27, we just bury them at 72. Soren Kierkegaard and Mark Twain are credited for these haunting warnings. Both address men, but the truth behind them is obviously universal. When it comes to human thriving, we are all fighting for our lives. But what exactly does that fight look like, and who is it with? My guest today is Jersey Gregoric, champion Olympic weightlifting athlete and coach. He's renowned. He's got records and awards and books. Fancy celebrities like Tim Ferriss talk about his influence in their lives. But what he's probably most famous for is a little mantra. It goes like this, hard choices, easy life, easy choices, hard life. Today's conversation unpacks what this means and how we might leverage it. Jersey is a sage and his wisdom is pure gold, at least if you're open to giving his advice, serious consideration. So I want to give you context. I know you don't know me from Adam. I live in Southern California. I live down in Newport Beach, so just down the road from you guys. I'm 51 years old. I'm not, I don't have any Olympic championship records. I don't have any world titles, but I am in the best shape of my life.
1: That's amazing.
0: I'm so happy. My workout group, we're, it's a bunch of guys. Some are in their 20s, some are in their 30s, some are in their 40s, some in their 50s. I'm in the 50s. We're called men of discomfort. And the idea is that we would voluntarily be uncomfortable in every area that we can imagine so that when involuntary discomfort comes our way, we're going to be ready for it. We get up in the morning. We, I'm up at five twenty. We do you know regular work like CrossFit kind of workout stuff, but then we're like cold showers, cold plunges, holding our breath like the Wim Hof stuff, intermittent fasting. You know all the silly things. We're just experimenting. But I'm too old for this if I don't have anyone, any heroes in front of me. So when I found you, I couldn't believe it.
1: You have to be somehow like a champion or like a fireman. A fireman trains that way that is ready for a disaster, right, or the fire. But they train on a daily basis, right? You know, they train constantly to be ready. I was a fireman, and we were in training all the time. But we didn't have specific goal like you know, when you are an athlete, you, especially the athletes, they are transparent athletes, like those that are judged by time or by weight, these athletes are very clear. They know where the world record is and how many years is going to be before they get it. <laughs> so let's say weightlifters, they train snatch and clean and jerk, but they do a lot of exercises around, like like you do, jumping and sprinting and, and everything else, right? But it is somehow organized towards only one thing, lift, the snatch or clean and jerk. When you have a pole vaulter, it has the same thing. A sprinter does the same thing. You know, I coach uh, uh, weightlifters in UCLA and then uh, Maurice Green was coaching his uh, sprinters. He had about maybe 12 of them. Amazing. You know, all the time, clean snatches and, you know, all the power lifts and his athletes were, you know, as strong as, as almost we were, like maybe 80, 90%. It's unbelievable. So when when you pick up something, let's say you want to jump on boxes, and you want to achieve jump on eye level box. and then you spend next three, four years to get yourself to that level, right? So then then you discover something magical. You discover all the plan around how to jump on the box like eye level. Mm. But the same it means like if you are capable of jumping or, on a box, eye level, You have incredible bad. I mean incredible. A lot of better than when you do everything and you know you you you're hard on yourself everywhere because when you are pole water, you cannot really train too hard and you find out that too hard is not good.
0: This idea, if I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is it's one thing to be a generalist. And, and to be kind of holistically kind of healthy. And I want to get into that in a minute around happy body and what you prescribe to the world. But I'm, what I'm hearing you say is like for folks who are really committed and are after it, you know, six days a week, maybe two a days, like working hard. I, one of the things we talk about all the time is we have five fights we want to pick with ourselves every day. So we want to pick a fight with our body. We want to pick a fight, which includes like the kitchen and the exercise. We want to pick a fight with our mind. So like our thoughts and our feelings. We want to pick a fight with our time. How are we spending our time? Pick a fight with our money. And then the last one, I don't know what you think about this one, but we want to pick a fight with God.
1: <laughs> That's good. Well, I am to join you guys, you know? <laughs> I like it.
0: <laughs> but but I like I really like what you're saying, that this idea of like if you don't bring focus to the exercise, you're really missing out. Like there's something about that that you're either creating risk that you could hurt yourself or that you're, you're not fully committed in a direction where you're going to see the maximum results. Am I hearing you right?
1: You simply rob yourself of the chance of becoming really the best of yourself. Mm. So you, you're spread thin. You're good everywhere, but you're not really great in one. Mm. But if you become great in one, if you pick up one of these physical exercises that you do and you perfect that, you improve that, everything else will get better too. The transparency has has to be found, see you know the numbers hmm. without numbers uh, you, you just cannot improve right <laughs> you have to have numbers once you establish numbers then then you can find the way of training the plan, the strategies, how to progress.
0: We're pretty aggro on numbers too, but what we do we do it with like whoop bands and garments and rings and and that gives us some data a little data on things like. Recovery and sleep and all that stuff, but I think what you're talking about is much more precise to a particular effort.
1: Well, yeah, the the plan and the strategies will be based on you know what you really want and can be measurable. Right. right. So what is it? What What else do you do?
0: Well, back in the day, I played Division One volleyball.
1: Oh, what a sport!
0: And I hear you talking about volleyball in particular. It's a, yeah, it's a, a lot fan-
1: of volleyball. I played a lot.
0: It's, it's amazing to me that people can stay with that sport as long as they do because it can be so rigorous on the body. But the story I've made up, the limit I've created for myself as someone who's 51 is like, oh, it's a jumping sport. That's probably not one you want to pick going in. If you're playing for longevity, that's probably not the one you want to play for. But what, what do you think about that?
1: When people are scared to jump, you know they are old, they are aged. It's the first thing that we lose. The second, we lose the sprint. We are not running fast. So, But the jump is very crucial. Jumping on boxes, jumping, hopping forward, uh, running sprints is crucial because also it's the nervous system, fast reaction, uh, immunity, all of it is connected to the power, right? So the higher you jump, the better and the younger you are. So if you cannot jump on boxes, <laughs> you're getting old. You're even scared to jump down, right? You know, ask old people to jump on 12-inch box. If the one is scared to jump, it doesn't matter how old. It's old. It's yeah. So the jump is crucial.
0: Okay, so I, I am fascinated right now. So, So you think the number one thing that determines... The decline, the, the, the kind of the lead indicator for people declining is first jumping, second sprinting.
1: Yes, all fast.
0: And in, and in your regimen with happy body, I definitely want to talk about happy body, if I understand it correctly. It's flexibility first, but one flexibility is there, then strength. And then after strength, then you get into power and speed.
1: you got the, the jump. You see, you cannot jump if you're not flexible. Flexibility becomes the most essential, right? So first is flexibility, so you don't have the fear of actually landing. Landing is the scary part when you are stiff. And you then you can see sometimes when older people try to jump and then when they land, they cannot absorb because they are not soft and they are not flexible. So they cannot uh, absorb the landing. So in weightlifting, you have this receiving, yeah? That's absorbing the landing and the weight when it goes down. So you throw the bar and you go under, and you absorb that bar when it goes down. When you're in the deep squat, the bar bends, right? And then you use the bounce to get up of the squat position. Then you have here plyometrics because the bar flies up, you fly down very fast, you block that thing, you receive like a really stretching kind of ball, and they bounce off the bottom and you go up with the bar. So it's a very uh, uh, demanding on any levels, uh, mostly flexibility, event. Flexibility is the first. And all the animals that there will be very fast will be very flexible. So when you think about predators and that they are really fast, they are extremely flexible. People fall because when they trip, they cannot save themselves. Yeah because they're too slow. The nervous system is too slow. They can have muscles, right? But the nervous system is too slow. So the message travels too long between the brain and reaction.
0: Okay. So I'm going to go for a stretch here for a second. So we've been talking all athletics and and it's by the, personally, I'm just geeking out. I can't can't believe this conversation so far, but you know, this podcast is, it's for people who make things and then want to make money from things or make a point from what they do. And like when I read your history and what you have done as, you know, coming out of the solidarity movement in Poland and uh, what you and your wife have done here in the U S and what you came from, from your kind of experience with, you know, addiction and using weightlifting as a mechanism to get out of that. And then empowering other people, like you're a very specialized person. And then not just in that area, but also with fine art and poetry. And as I have read your stories what struck me is those are such, they seem like such different planets. Like one is, you know, you and your body. The other is you and your mind. But I wonder, these kinds of things, I wonder if there are universals. Like are some of the principles that you're talking about, could they apply to people who are maybe, you know, in business or they're in, you know, they're trying to make something out of what they, what they do. They're, you know, they're running a business or they're photographers or they're, you know, they're, there's something out there. Are there things around, metaphorically, flexibility and speed and power that actually still apply in those other contexts? Or even just in your own context, what have you learned from weightlifting that applies to your work as a poet?
1: We'll have challenges, and those challenges will shape you. The challenges will strengthen your self-control the, and the battery that you have that you can you know, use during the day. The self-control is like an energy that is drained throughout the day. And you can charge it and charge it with with goodness. And here is how you use the life, how you live the life, how hard it is, the things that you really need to get. And those things are shaping you slowly, right? And those things are uh, shaping you in a way that feelings are challenged, all kind of feelings that you have. And the virtues are challenged. Your past changes. So it means like you are becoming a different person because you are you have different past. So in the present moment, you're always in the present moment. And in that present moment, you're feeling in the present moment, it is because what is your past? If that past is strong and that past is past of virtues and build up, then you feel good about yourself and that. Happiness at that moment is the side effect of who you are. And that's why it's a side effect of virtues, of achieving something on the way. That is uh, that is really hard and shapes your character.
0: You talk a lot about virtues and character. And I, this might be a stretch, but even that all of your work that you've done with your body are mechanisms to work out your virtues and your character. Is that too much of a stretch to to deduce from from? your life and the achievements you've had in your life?
1: When you become really good at something, I mean really to the top, when you go to the top of the mountain, like Mount Everest, right? Yeah. Pick up Mount Everest. So your character will be shaped a lot during that preparation. It will be years before you get there. You're not going to get in two years. It will be five years and 10 years before you really get there. During these 10 years, you will change. You will respect, you know, the the hardship of that journey. You will become the one that respect others. You know, I remember when, you know, I was a weightlifter. When I was a young weightlifter, I would be the one maybe that I could pick up the fight. Yeah, because I, I felt stronger. But when I was really strong. That I didn't want to fight, and I uh, avoided fights, and you know, really didn't want to do it. That I respected power. You know, I found that responsibility for the power as well. So mm. I, I became a, a a good person in a way because that that level of your achievement will make you a good person because you you just cannot get there without the virtues are attached to that. Delay gratification has to happen. It's one of the biggest virtues. No expectation, zero expectation has to be there because you will not get there. You will destroy yourself before. Mm. So, all the, we just don't have language for that. We right? don't. We just don't have language for that. It, it, mm. We don't have language for uh, when we do certain physical, uh, certain things that those physical, we don't identify with the mental, that the mental is not really. The part, but it's always the part. It just depends what is the level. What mm-hmm. is the demand that physical, you know, there? Is it really challenges us so deeply that we have to change? You are a
0: world class athlete. You've been to the mountaintop that you're describing in your particular discipline. Now you're older and you have different disciplines that you want to be world class at. You ever compare and go, well, I don't like I don't like that my body can't do what it used to do? Or do you think your body can do new things that it couldn't do back then? How do you view uh-huh. the progression?
1: All right. I'm sixty-six years old, right? So 35 is that time where the old athletes are aging and the records are going down. Right? Yes. Say so getting weaker and so on, right? It's not avoidable. So some weightlifters there's joke and say you It's just going down down to the hole, right? (laughs) Okay. But there's another look at that. Another look at that is that I am the top of the 66 in the world, right? That's right. But that top, when when you age, right? When you compare the aging, from zero, you go to 18. Everything is good, right? And you're really good. And then at 18, you become incredible. Between 18 and 35, these athletes compete to, against each other. There's no way to say who is going to win. Aging doesn't happen there at all. At 35, every five years, is we, we become less powerful. Where my 66 is, when I see the, the boys in 20s, let's say, if they don't really train with this focus that we talked about earlier, then they will go to the certain level. But that level is with the aligned with the eight year old world champion, so I am sixty six I'm a lot of above that. I still can snatch one point twenty five my body weight, I clean and jerk one point five. so if I go to today to the gym, right, any gym, of course not weightlifting gym, but if I go to the normal gym, twenty year old boys will never clean and jerk their body weight.
0: <laughs> never
1: right, so forget about it. <laughs> yeah you can look from these two perspectives. You either look that you are getting worse and you are getting depressed or you are really still fantastic, right? So I look like I'm really more fantastic that way, right? So, <laughs> but when I talk to my clients, right? And, yes, and I yes. tell them that the road is like that. Is, so well, it's very depressing. I say, yeah, but it's not for you because you are very low. That's 66 where it is. And you are very low there, so you have a big reserve, right? Between me and yourself, so for you is inspiration. For you is motivation to really get there because you can get a lot of better. So I can take a sixty-six-year-old, say today, that is completely all right. You know, age and and weak and and stiff and. And in, within three four years, I can make this incredible body that well, he will be, let's say, 70, and he will be better than he was in 20.
0: But, okay, so I need to key in on what you just said, because most people don't say one key word that you just said, and that's years. Most people talk about three four months. Some people on, <laughs> on, on, on TV, they talk about three or four weeks. If you're doing your abs, it's three or four minutes. Yeah, yeah, I I have in the gym. I love that you measure in years. I love it. And decades.
1: When athletes come to me, young athletes, 14, 15, 16 years uh, years old, they have to sign with me two years commitment. If they don't sign, I don't accept one. Amazing. So this is a So I write, in one year, you will be one of the strongest. In two, you will be the strongest. If you commit to that, I will coach you, not you go home. Hmm. So this is only two years. After two years, we write three years. (laughs) uh, You know, after two years, there is a commitment toward, you know, really uh, getting international, something really. I coach uh, a lot of water polo players you know, I used to coach Paul Walters, you know, sprinters, you know, all kind of the horse riders and jumpers, right? So uh, soccer players, football players, almost everybody. Mm. The same story goes with all of them, that I need about three, between three and five years to make somebody powerful, because we know numbers, right? Weightlifters know numbers, and then they know that the sprinter, you know, you need five years to even look whether you can be a sprinter or not.
0: Is the snatch the, like, is your, is the happy body and everything all leading to the snatch?
1: The happy body is building the flexibility needed for the snatch. So when power tower, you know, the, yep. we call it the squat press. So when you squat and press and you have all the flexibility needed, it's very easy to coach you how to snatch because your flexibility forms are ready for it. It's Got just it. now how, skills to train skills you know to get there now the happy body is a skill of living with great flexibility but not like average strength not too much strength right it's like 20 year old 80 year old level strength so it's just not really power of the 20 year olds or 30 year olds something like that so Mm -hmm. if yeah if i pick up let's say somebody in 20s his capabilities would be different from 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, right? The mountain will be shorter and shorter and shorter. The level will be different. Training, almost the same. Really? Yeah, because it's the same snatch. So the, it's not different snatch. So the, the training is the same. It's just how the, the challenge is. How you make the one flexible, how you make the one strong, how you make the one fast. So that it difficulties increases as the one gets older.
0: I know the people you surround yourself with, you're very careful about that and that you are select. But when I survey the landscape of our world right now, domestically and internationally, like I know a lot of old people who aren't virtuous, who don't have character that you'd want to emulate. You're prescribing becoming a better person over the course of your life, which I'm for. Like, believe me, I my history was I studied marketing as an undergrad and I felt so gross about it that I studied philosophy in grad school. And I studied uh, Aristotelian virtue ethics. And, you know, could you have a good life? And what is that life? And how does someone become a good person? And, and what you're describing is precisely what I want to be about for the rest of my life. But I, the older I get, the lonelier I get. It doesn't seem like I'm finding the people that you're describing that are living around. Or maybe I'm just not looking very well. What, what do you think?
1: Well, you're not looking. <laughs>
0: okay, that's great.
1: Tell me more. Tell me yeah, more. They are there. They are there. Definitely. Uh, we know great people are there.
0: We'll be right back after this short break. <laughs> Ty, you and I have talked about what you're trying to do with your customers, and you've described Cantilever as a hospitality company, and you make websites. What What does that even mean?
2: So, you know how you go to a lot of these websites, and you're a number or you're trapped and they're just trying to get as much ad revenue out of you as totally they can while you're on the article you know what i mean imagine that you're trying to get a message out but the experience that people are having is awkward and inconvenient so at cantilever what we try to do is give people an experience that is really comfortable and welcoming and really think of what they're trying to do when they come to a website So instead of bombarding them with with ads, we're thinking, where are they at in their lives that they're in this place where they're reading this article and what are they trying to get out of it? We try to make that really, really easy. We call that principle digital hospitality.
0: You can do hospitality online? That's actually possible?
2: It is, but it requires a translation of that hospitality skill set into a digital environment. And one of the things that's really powerful about trying to do hospitality online is that it involves a lot of technology. And there are countless ways that you can build incredible powerful code bases that are oriented around a user's experience. So they're not just there to do something cool. You're doing cool things so that you can give people a better and better experience.
0: If you're listening to this and you want to do that for your website, go to cantilever.co, check them out. You have to also see your
1: limitations. You are not the person. You are not God, right? So you cannot right. change everyone, make everybody better, and so on. So you have to have respect to yourself that you are uh, what you are, and then you are not. Uh, ha- you don't have power to, to change everybody, but you right. have a power to be with people that can inspire you mm-hmm. for better. And you need to find those people, and you have to uh, avoid people that. Drain you, and some people, you know, have these capabilities of draining. Yes. And and you know the next if the next day uh, you have a hangover like a mental hangover. Yeah. You don't want hangover. to see the person again. Yeah. Uh, if you want to fight for for the person, if you want to help the person to come out of the uh, really addictions or something, it has to be somebody that is really extremely important for you, and you will fight forever. And
0: that's good. I guess what I do, I have some wonderful friends. Some, I feel badly for my friends who are going to listen and think that I just threw them under the bus. I'm like <laughs> <fine>. I, uh, <laughs> they did. And I, and I love my friends. You know, it's that old Soren Kierkegaard quote: "Man finds the level of despair he can tolerate, and he calls it happiness." It's like this idea. A horrible
1: that, saying. <laughs> I know,
0: but it, but it's not untrue. Like there's people who just they just land at a spot, and they're they're kind of done, and and that's the part where like. I maybe it's just fantasy, but I want to not be done. I want to find a co- group of colleagues and friends that want to keep pursuing. And you strike me, Jersey, as someone that you're not done. Like well, you're 66, you know, you're, you're, but you're after it.
1: I look at I look at people to admire. You know, I, I search yeah. for people I can admire, like Socrates, right? So right. I look at Socrates, and and this is a person that I want to admire and befriend with right So uh, that is my person, right? Let's say Martin Luther King would be my person, right? So people like Jersey Popjeko that I was friend in Poland uh, was a priest. So yeah I I search always Mandela, right So I search for people and all the time constantly for people that can give me light. I love Stoic's way of seeing into the world, you know the the nature brought you here, right. All of it, all this universe was needed to create the planet there. And all these millions of years had to be here in order to create us. And then 500 years ago, Copernicus find out that actually the thing that we are standing on is a sphere. Can you imagine that? Amazing. Right? It's only 500 years, right? And then we have this awareness now. What are the planets? What are the stars and so on? It, it it's just this even awareness is just wow you know I'm thinking about myself that I know this this whole universe so Stoics have the interesting view on uh, constant improvement and I think that I found the 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 energy that I get from there in my life I live that life but that explanation of living the life. Uh, uh, like a Stoic is in this way is uh, really talking to me. So they say that nature brought you here and you are responsible for becoming best form of that. Okay. So in a way, when I am here and the whole nature is the universe and brought me here, I'm a really special something who knows what, right? Mm. But at the same time, you know, I could be the solution for the saving planet or something, right? Mm. And nobody knows that. Who will, right? And we know that some people already acted that way in, in the world that really contributed to yes huge good changes, right? Yeah. That, like you said at the beginning, you have many perspectives, right? Yes, many perspectives, mental, spiritual, physical, right, artistic, it's a constant improvement, even though physical is that way, right? But it's a constant artistic improvement is that way. The philosophical is that way. If you ever listen to Tikhnahan, you would be like in a place of such goodness. It, it, you could your whole life could be aligned for that, right? If you if you were around. So I somehow see where I come from from this really the beautiful planet, right? Amazing thing, it's a magical thing. Our planet is magical. I just uh, live a constant life of constant improvement, yeah, constant improvement and in many directions. And they are kind of crossing and not crossing. They like say, Where is this art? Where is philosophy? Right? <laughs> where is science? Right? Because I'm an engineer, right? From education, I'm an engineer, but also I'm an artist and also I'm a philosopher. So everywhere I gave. Everything of me, but I'm not really knowing many philosophies. You see, I pick up stoicism and that's it for me. One, I pick up poetry and that's the art for me. Yes. Yeah. And I talked to Tim Ferriss, you know, he had a podcast. He said, he asked me, what is success? I said, you know, what, success is meeting other couple. Let's say you are a couple and you meet another couple. And if you have energy between that, you everybody likes each other, right? In every direction. It's an amazing thing. They you, you talk for hours and hours and hours. You don't have enough. And you laugh. You get drunk. You eat. Whatever it is, you really enjoy life, right? Yeah, yeah. When you think about what your life is, right? Your life is built with from a lot of dinners. You will have... Thousand or ten thousand dinners, and you die. It's kind of your your life is is that dinner, and that dinner is available for everyone. So it doesn't matter whether it's on a boat that costs billion dollars, or or somewhere in a hat that you know you pay two hundred dollars rent and you are there. So we actually at the beginning we had this hat that we in Burbank that we were paying three hundred dollars and was all cement around. And it was only one room inside, and we had a table inside, right, and a bed and the kitchen, small kitchen. Was one room. Amazing. And billionaires were coming from Beverly Hills for dinners to us. So it's really not important where the table is. What is important, really, extremely important, how you spend time, right? Victor Frankl was saying, you know, about this profession is not really making. Meaningful anything? What makes you know meaningful is how you make the profession. Mm. How you act like a nurse. You are really mean nurse and go to the room and and scare the one that you are going to give and enjoy you know threatening the other one that it will be hurting. Or you are the nurse that goes into the room and say, "Good morning, Mr. Jones. Right? We'll have this you know little injection today. This is time." But it will be like a little bee, nothing really uh, hard, right? Nothing painful.
0: So I, I'm so glad you said what you said on several levels. First of all, the connection to Viktor Frankl and life's uh, not just his search for meaning, but his logotherapy and his idea of creating meaning in our lives. And it's the how that we do the thing, not just that we are a thing. You know, whether it's athletics or it's poetry or it's nursing or it's creating or it's a business. It's finding a, a mechanism where we're constantly looking for ways to not, and what I'm hearing is not just be bettering ourselves, but having a sense of gratitude and a sense of uh, your virtues. Like the, you're relating with the thing in such a way where those things are pouring out at you and to to fight in your life to have those things happening what I'm struck by is when I hear your story, and I and I know a little of your history in advance of what this moment you're in and the moment you've been in for the last you know 30 years, if someone is, regardless of where they're at, let's say they, they come from a hard spot and they're tempted to be cynical, what do you say to them? Or if they're coming from an easy life and they're tempted to take things for granted, what do you say to them? Because I know you're famous. The reason I, I, I found you, I wrote my first book because of Tim Ferriss. But the reason I found you is because I was looking up for the source of the quote, hard choices, easy life, easy choices, hard life. And it feels like this is part of the answer, I'm guessing, is how do you direct it? When you're sitting down for coffee with someone, you haven't met them and you hear a little of their story, how do you advise them? How do you guide them to this kind of thriving that you're experiencing?
1: Is there some people come and say, I'm 200 pounds, but I should be 120. So it's 80 pounds, right? Okay. But for some people, it's a normal thing. They can jump from 200 to 120, and it's a normal thing. Say, so, okay, uh, how much time it will take, and then we okay, we say it will be uh, two years to get there, right, and then we do this and that. But others, right, they will have really difficulties for, with that. Mm. Mm. And, and when they hear 120, It's impossible. So then I have a different talk with them, right? I will say, well, it's, you know, 120 is really extraordinary, but, you know, we don't have to get there. and Maybe we'll get there, but it's not important. Let's focus on what we actually could do, right? How is it for you 150 or 160? Oh, you know, 160, yeah, 160 is uh, possible. I see it. I said, well, let's uh, get focused on 160, right? And then we'll get to 160. And then we'll see. So uh, the person is stronger, self-esteem is better. And then the person can say, you know what? I could be 140. Mm. Okay, let's go up there. So we're almost with everything, you know, when people complain or when people blame me, it's just the same story. How you make a conversation, that conversation has transitions and you never put the person into the defending situation and then, in, in rejecting you, you have to create this possibility that the person can accept what you propose and like you, you know, because it's so important that likability is, is there. It's like almost a, yeah, I don't have preconceived way of how people should be, but I am on a journey, constant journey with them to walk that journey that is hard choices, Right. But it's their decision, and I help them to make the decisions that there is their decision, and they know that it's their decision and it's not mine. So I don't take any credits for their goodness and their improvements, but I help them to, to know that. I'm not contributing to anything what they become, but I am facilitating this possibility for them to make hard choices to follow the hard choices, to achieve and to build for themselves better paths and to be proud of it eventually. I have a of poems about that. You know, there is, one of those is uh, becoming a builder. So that's interesting. I can read your poem if please, you want. <laughs>
0: Please, please do. Yes, yes.
1: So this is the poem. Remember, you are a builder. Two friends were passing a bank when one of them said, some people build banks while others rob them. Which are you? I like to think of myself as a builder, but often I think about robbing one. What about you? I'm just a builder. No desire to rob a bank then? No, but they used to have them until I met my wife, who asked me, what kind of men are you? Do you wait to work until your children are hungry? Time passed, but every morning, just before I left the house, she kissed me, gave me the snack she made, And said, remember, you are a builder.
0: Oh, my gosh. That is beautiful. Isn't it? Yes.
1: We need people like that, you see. We need people to tell us the good things. They have a goosebumps right now. Me too. To tell you that, you know, you are the builder. You are a good person. Just go. And you never forget about that. And it builds us. It helps us. It, It helps us to remember. It helps us to... Make this micro progression in life. There's little things that contribute to better us, right? And then the last part of it, to appreciate that, right? To appreciate all the small things. The gratitude comes from there, which the gratitude, the gratitude comes from appreciation, right? That appreciation of goodness, appreciation of becoming, appreciation of micro progression. It's micro progression, or well, what Tim Ferriss, you know, really appreciated here, because it took him two years to become flexible, and two years to be to do snatches. But he did. He spent two years. He, he was coming here every week, and he was coached. He opened himself to that. But after two years, he was able to to make snatches, full snatches with full flexibility, without any pain in the bum. You have to give two years, right?
0: There it is again. The time. The Time and the Commitment.
1: Yesterday, I wrote the poem, Independence, and, and it's really funny because let me read it to you.
0: Oh my gosh, right off the press. This and is I'm so great. Right off the press. Me... <laughs> Come on.
1: Let me find a poem. So <laughs> Independence, you are so precious and so easy to lose. Born in communism, forever dependent, I had to choose between believable obedience and torture. The first time i felt you, I was already 27 years old. You nestled then in Solidarity's most loved imagination, even for millions to feel freedom, and strong enough to take down the Berlin Wall. You were tomorrow's dream, and I felt your strong pull from beyond the ocean. Even thinking about you softened my heart and prepared me for the hardest journey, finding you. My first days in America, I slept peacefully on a stranger's floor. I wasn't peaceful because I was safe, but because I was left alone for the first time. To live my life at 32. It didn't matter what I believed in or thought about. Nobody tried to change me, and nobody tried to help me without being asked. I had your gift as I worked, and dreamed. But one day, many years after, I woke with the feeling of a belt around my neck and recognized it from the far away past. Every year, the belt gets tighter. How could it happen that here in the land that says it cherishes independence? Is it even possible that dependency can be craved where people were raised to praise freedom? Seeing sick people on the streets begging for shelter from those who can only make them more vulnerable until they are abandoned, it hurts and scares me. If you lose, you here, where else in the world will we find you?
0: Jersey, I am so moved by this conversation with your generosity, with your invitation to consider the whole of life, in body and mind in spirit that it feels like you've given all of our listeners just a, a tremendous gift. And uh, that last piece will haunt many <laughs> to consider what, what are they doing? Yeah. Well, I'm grateful. I'm it's a good. You, right? you know, I did. I did.
1: The questions are important, right?
0: Oh, it's critical. And, and I want to say too, like for some folks, they tuned in cause they, they've heard something. Maybe they heard you on Tim's podcast or they, they've seen happy body or whatever. The initial conversation started with a phrase. Again, uh, hard choice is easy life; easy choice is hard life. But then, from there, as I kind of have looked at your work and seen where we can, what what kind of opened up for me was like, I just couldn't believe what I was discovering. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" There's, there's he's speaking to with rich experience a better life in several categories. And you know, you've expanded on that today. If folks are at home and they want to get access to it, is the, is the right entry point? Happy body, or where should they go?
1: The happy body is that skill of living of a uh, fantastic life, right? It is about flexibility that I see that flexibility is the main point here, but mindfulness as well. So mm. that mindfulness mm. is built in. So it's a conscious way of living, really uh, a life that improves over time, right? It has to be conscious. We start about, talking about being conscious or doing things without being conscious. So the happy body is the conscious approach to living a better life. It's done with a mindful way. So when you do the exercises, you are mindful about. Singularity of the brain is built in. It means that, you know, there are certain six things that happen within every repetition, which is inhale, tightens, lift stretch return and exhale and this is the mantra that repeats itself every repetition because of that because one thing at a time the person is able to completely focus 100 percent on that and forgets about the, the life uh, outside and that is stress release that's also meditation 30 40 minutes a day right that's why a lot of people, when they do the happy body, they come out of the gym and they are spaced out. They know really what happened, right?
0: Yeah. But yeah.
1: the brain rested. It means that they soften the brain, rested. They calm down, and they become the goodness, right? They, we become the goodness because of we are calming down, and we are connected to these soft, nice, and pleasurable exercises that they are joyful for us and but they also make us better over time nothing is really hard in that the hard part is to do it for five years right it is but in when you do it you should do it with joy so a lot of components were built into the happy body like this possibility for the stress release possibility for calming down possibility for the flexibility to get better and strength and speed and so on and And creating such a person that would be kind to himself or herself because you have to learn that you cannot be mean to to your body because if you mean to your body the body will be in more pain so you you're slowly becoming that person that cares for the body and and uh, finds the way how to help the body to become better and and during this process, you find micro progression. During this process, you find delay gratification. During this process, you you will find that instant gratification is not the way, right? And also, you find this appreciation of this micro progression. So it's, it's it's just whole philosophy is is added to it. And when you add, you know, the food and control of food, you are right there when Socrates was right, who said, you know. Eat to live, not live to eat. Right? Mm-hmm. Come, come on. You know, the twenty-five hundred years ago, a person you know says such a really incredibly important thing. Right? And after twenty-five years, we still struggle with actually live the life. Eat to live, and you know the happy body tries to uh, help people to live that life. Right? That not only eat to live, but Art to live, and you know, use philosophy to live. Right, so all of it I see that is important in order to to live the the life of a constant renewal. Right, the, the life of a constant improvement. And wait for this improvement. Develop the patience between accumulate, adapt, and move to the next level. Right? Accumulate, adapt, and then this is you know all those things teach us so much.
0: You know, uh, Jersey, you are the ultimate Trojan horse. Uh, You you, you, you promise the happy body, but you give the happy life at least a pathway. And I just cannot thank you enough for taking the time. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me and you know, give me the opportunity to to talk to your friends. And I I hope that they will uh, get something meaningful from that and we didn't waste the time.
0: This was episode three, season six of the Business of Creativity podcast. Converge is made possible thanks to cantilever.co and tellmeyourdreams.com. For all our past evergreen episodes with guests like Seth Godin, James Clear, Anne Handley, Ryan Holiday, Jazz Ampafar, Donald Miller, Mike McAllowitz, Sarah Green Carmichael, Brad Montague, Kevin Kelly, Todd Henry, Scott Stratton, Chase Reeves, Gretchen Rubin, Chris Gillibo, Starley Kine, and more. Go to ConvergePodcast.com. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. See you next time.
1: An ironic media production. Visit us at I-R-O-N-I-C-K